ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all of the hottest trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 23 million cards across all major eras and genres. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together later or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace to try and flip. To continue serving collectors as our hobby grows, ComC is actively hiring for a range of different roles. Learn more and apply online at comc.com jobs. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host, Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell, and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 110th episode of the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. For today's conversation, I've invited on another fellow podcaster. Matt Salmon is the host of the Wax Ecstatic podcast, and it's one that I have been listening to since my return from the hobby. I guess probably not exactly since my return because the show's not been out for five full years. But as I started to expand my hobby education and my hobby knowledge and my enjoyment of hobby content, the Wax Ecstatic podcast was one of the first ones that came across my Apple podcast feed. And so when I got to that point, I've been listening to the show and I really appreciate Matt's enjoyment and love and celebration of the cards from our past. He really focuses in on the junk wax era and back and doesn't put as much emphasis on the modern era outside of a few cards and a few sets like Topps Heritage, which celebrate some of those cards from our past. I wanted to bring Matt on so you could hear from him and learn more about his show. And if you're looking to expand your hobby options, his show, The Wax Ecstatic Podcast, might be another one to check out. And I think you should also check out Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors. They break new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. And you can find out all of the products that they're going to be breaking at their website, udogcollect.com. You can also join their Facebook group where collectors get together to celebrate their hits, ask questions, and just talk about the hobby. And you can watch them live on YouTube. Check them out at udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you. Now, here's our conversation with Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Well, Mike, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, I wanted to bring you on because your podcast, the Wax Ecstatic Podcast, is one that I've listened to for several years now. I don't know that it's been since the very beginning of the show, but it's definitely been for multiple seasons worth of, of your show. And it's something that I've always enjoyed, especially as a collector and with a collector focus in mind. And so I wanted to bring you on and give you a chance uh, to help some other people potentially find the show. And I think they'll probably enjoy it as much as I do. So maybe we can start by you just telling us a little bit about your show, the Wax Ecstatic Podcast. Well, thanks, Mike, for being a longtime listener and, uh, you know, for basically outing yourself as that guy who's actually been listening for a long time because uh, not everybody would want to admit it. You know, Wax Ecstatic, it's so funny. It's kind of gone through, um, you know, various changes and, and we're actually kind of going through a little, little bit of a, a, a change now in a good way, which I'll get to, but, uh, you know, to go to the very beginning, it actually started just as an idea that was born out of boredom. 
And, uh, you know, when I, I really got back into collecting like 100%, I'd say probably around 2013, 2014, um, I had kind of dabbled in it, you know, 2004, 2005, kind of coming back. But uh, when my son was about four years old, I thought, you know, this would be fun because he likes watching baseball and, and really participating in sports. I thought oh, this would be fun to get him into baseball cards. And, you know, I'd buy a few packs and we'd open them and talk about the teams and the players. And, you know, really got me completely interested in the hobby again. And sometime early in the summer of 2016, I'm just looking for something to do. Um, you know, I used to work for a National Hockey League team, so the summers were uh, often dull and boring because uh, typically after July 1st, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Uh, and, and that was the case, you know, up until about Labor Day when the camps would start again. So I'm sitting around uh, summer of 2016, and uh, I opined on this on Twitter because that's what people do. Uh, I said, you know, who would be interested in, you know, a, a podcast about just old, you know, 1980s baseball cards? And, you know, I had a few people respond. I thought, okay. And the general idea was I had this monster box of cards from 1981 to uh, 1987 that was actually in this big monster box. And I had a couple other smaller boxes that had, 88 through 93, uh, the cards that I didn't sell at an incredible bargain many years ago just to get them out of my house. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to go year by year and set by set. And I'm going to pick a random card and I'm going to talk about the set and my memories of it and you know, do a little research about the player that I pull. And you know, at first I, I was kind of thinking it would be almost like an MST3K uh, in the sense that uh, you know, if you look back at some of the cards, especially from the 80s, there are some goofy names, there are some goofy pictures, there are some bad cards. And, uh, you know, the first card that I pulled, uh, we did 81 Fleer, that was our first set. And the first card that I pulled was Larry Cox. And if you look at, at the 81 Fleer, Larry Cox, uh, Larry Cox was basically a backup catcher. He was with the Seattle Mariners at the time. Uh, 81 Fleer, we all know the photo quality is not that great. So it was kind of a dark picture. He was, I believe, in Fenway Park. It was a cloudy day, you could tell. And he's just kind of standing there with his glove, kind of like covering his crotch. You know, he's just, just kind of standing around. And I remember looking at this card going, oh, this will be great. You know, look at this guy. Here's just this frumpy catcher on a bad team. And he's, you know, almost emasculating himself, you know, just putting his catcher's mitt over his crotch. So then I did a little research on Larry Cox and I discovered that, uh, you know, Larry Cox, yes, he was a utility catcher and bounced around, but he was very much loved. Uh, became the, uh, a loved uh, coach for the Chicago Cubs in the late 80s and tragically died in 1990 while playing a pickup basketball game with his son. And I'm reading this story and all of a sudden we go from MST3K to VH1 behind the music. <laughs> it's all just like, boom, like, oh, wow. And that, and, and I will always credit the general direction that the show went in to the late Larry Cox because, you know, what started as, hey, let's make fun of some baseball cards turned into, there's an interesting story here. So uh, that's how it started, uh, again, about four and a half years ago. There was a little break in between, uh, you know, I, I needed a little time off to, um, you know, kind of reassess me doing the podcast. It was probably about seven or eight months. But uh, really, over the last four and a half years, I've had a blast 
looking at you know pretty much every major release since you know 1949 Bowman and uh, you know some offshoot products since then and and for me the fun isn't just talking about the set or a particular card but diving into some of the stories about these players because uh, I've been able to create this saying for the show that there may be common cards, but there are no common players. You know, there's no common story. And I think when you really dive deep into some of these cards that we would normally just cast aside or throw out or put in a box and sell for a penny a piece, uh, you know, there, there's some interesting stories there, even for the guys that only played for a handful of games or a handful of seasons as the case may be. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that really attracted me to the show at the beginning is not only did you do kind of a complete rundown of the product of the week that you, that you were going to be covering, but those random pulls, as you called them mm -hmm. from the monster box, you never knew who you were going to be highlighting. Sometimes it was the big star that, that came out of that poll. And sometimes it was those more minor stars or um, the guys that are often overlooked and nobody mm -hmm. digs into. And because nobody else is really digging into those guys, I felt like your show provided a unique take on that, which not a lot of other people did. And so, yeah, that, that deep dive in combination with the deep dive on the set itself mm -hmm. is one of the things that I liked a lot about it. Was that something, I know you said you did it kind of from the very beginning, but was that part of the original plan to dig into those people or did that just kind of come up? That was part of the original plan. And, you know, as I was formulating the plan, and just kind of randomly pulling cards out of this monster box going, okay, you know, if I were to actually randomly, and they were ran, and in many cases, they still are like, we'll do some video breaks on whatever set we're talking about. If we have some packs or uh, a most recent episode, we were uh, comparing 72 tops to the, the tops heritage set this year. Um, so, you know, I normally just like to, okay, let's talk this guy, this guy, this guy. Uh, but, you know, at the very beginning, it's like, all right, if I were to just reach into this stack of 281 FLIR cards and pull a player, would I be able to have enough to talk about? Would I find something interesting? So, yeah, that was always the design. And I think it's something that while it was kind of this unique piece of the general idea, the initial idea, it kind of grew into this very interesting uh, subtopic where you never know who you're going to talk about. And, and I've discovered, uh, especially during the pack breaks, I've discovered as I'm flipping through these cards, uh, is if it's a pack from, say, the late 80s or early 90s when I was first collecting as a kid, uh, sometimes it's just a name that rings a bell. And maybe it's a funny name, like Archie Cianfraco. Is, is, you know, that's just one of those names. And you go, all right, let's talk about Archie Cianfraco. What happened to him? And you discover, you know, all right, he was with Montreal for a bit. He was a fan favorite in San Diego, you know, and you find some interesting facts here. So what started, and I've realized this happens in a lot of cases with a lot of good ideas, what starts is just kind of a little ancillary piece, just slowly, you know, becomes part of the main narrative. And it's a lot of fun uh, because you, the listener, you don't know who I'm going to talk about. And honestly, 99% of the time until I'm opening a pack or flipping through pages or looking through a stack of cards, I don't know who I'm talking about. So I get to learn a little bit about these players as well. I've got a little logistical question for you because mm -hmm. as a fellow podcaster, I, I'm often intrigued by some of the behind the scenes work. And so one of the things that I wanted to, to ask briefly about was 
the pace and uh, release timing of your mm -hmm. episodes changed over time. Yep. And I was wondering, what was the, the major driver of that? Why did you adjust that release schedule? Well, I think the original release schedule was two podcasts a week. And the podcast, uh, let's see, I used to do it Tuesdays and Fridays. And the original podcast only ran, I want to say about 40, 45 minutes on average. So it wasn't that hard. I didn't have a lot of guests. You know, I, I typically just would host the show myself and often still do. Occasionally, I'll bring a guest on, as, as you're well aware of. And, uh, you know, I remember just cranking out these podcasts and at first thinking, well, you know, this will be a good exercise for me to continue my on-air activities, you know, and, you know, just be a good announcer. And the other thing was, let me just crank these out and see if we can get something rolling. And uh, that's kind of a backstory to my career is that I'm often very ambitious with launching something which is great because you're telling everybody, hey, here it is. The downside, as I found out, and especially with Wax Ecstatic, was sometimes it can be a little too much and you have to reel it in a bit. So I, that's what I had to do because the podcast started getting lengthier. They, they hit an hour, sometimes they go an hour and a half. And then it, it's, even if it's just me talking, there's still production time and putting it together and posting it and scheduling tweets and everything. So, you know, I dialed that back to uh, once a week, and then I dialed it back to every other Friday, simply because I was getting feedback from uh, listeners. They're like, you know, oh, hey, you're talking about this set this week. That's great. I'm still 20 episodes behind. It's like, oh, okay, you know, I, I'm making too much for you. So, you know, we scaled it back there. And I think we found a comfortable spot with every other Friday. It's something that you can schedule even in an on-demand world you can still kind of mark your calendar and go the next show is coming up this friday and we you know put it at noon eastern that's when it's released so you know the time of day and you know part of the metamorphosis of the program that i'm working on right now mike is uh you know trying to shut up a little bit i'm trying to uh bring the length of the show back down to about an hour because uh you know, sometimes it's a chore for me if I'm talking for an hour and a half. I can only imagine what it's like for the listener. So, um, you know, it, it's always changing, always growing uh, and, and in a good way, too. Um, but that's kind of how it's it's adjusted over the years. And like I said, it's it's happening again. It's amazing how you learn on the fly. And when you're open and willing to be able to adapt and adjust, how much that seems to help. My show is the same way. I started at two a week for the first nine or 10 months. And that just eventually got to the point where is, I think I need to, to adjust this a little bit and mm -hmm. move to that, that once a week schedule. Now you've, like you mentioned earlier, you've covered sets from the fifties through today, but you also like me have an affinity for some of those junk wax era sets. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for years, we've been able to joke that some of those dealers were almost willing to pay you to take those boxes and packs and, and cards, but that's changed a little bit over the last year or so. What is, what is it about that era of, of sets that attracts you to them? I think I know the answer, but I want to make sure I, I have that clarity from you. Well, the big thing that drew it to me was that's, those were the sets that I collected. I, 
started collecting in 1989. So, I mean, just right in the wheelhouse of junk wax. And it was also roughly around that time. So I was uh, 10 turning 11. I went from being kind of a casual sports fan. Like I, I played sports. I would watch sports, but you know, I wasn't like this nerd about sports, but around 10 or 11, just something switched to where all of a sudden I had to watch every sport. I had to learn about every sport. I wanted to learn about the history, the, the logos, the team names. And, and now I, you know, I, I'm turning into a guy that's wearing, you know, Ebbetsfield flannels t-shirts, you know, that, that's where I am now. But, you know, there, there was just a very transformative time in my life where I went from just kid on the t-ball team to you know okay now i have to buy this jersey or i want this hat and baseball cards came in at the same time um and i just went full bore baseball card collector for probably the next four or five years up until basically the 1994 season of course there was the strike in 1994 which curtailed a lot of interest in not just the hobby but baseball uh, but also by then i was you know 16 years old and uh, you know, you, you start focusing on other things, then you're buying a car, you're chasing girls, you're, you know, trying to make money with a job. And, um, you know, it, it, you just kind of lose interest there. So even though, uh, and I often joke on the podcast, like I'm not paying down student loan debt or, or mortgages with these uh, cards, um, even though there's plenty of these out there they bring back some great memories for me. And, you know, I was a little unusual at the time too, where I didn't just buy the new stuff. Um, but, you know, as a young teenager, I, because again, I was interested in the history of the game. I would go to flea markets. I would go to garage sales. I would go to card shows and, you know, those beat up cards from the sixties and seventies, that book value were maybe 25 or 50 cents. I'd buy them up. So, you know, I started, uh, you know, developing a, an itch for vintage cards at the same time. And by the time I got out of the hobby in the mid nineties and came back, like I said, about 10, 12 years later, um, I had a, an appreciation for the whole spectrum of them. So, um, you know, I, I love all the cards, but it's just those, those good memories of, uh, you know, being a teenager, uh, being a nerd and, you know, collecting all these cards that kind of brings me back to junk wax. Plus the fact that I'm cheap. So, you know, you can get <laughs> the junk wax cheap, but you know, it's funny, Mike, we're kind of, you know, we're the cool nerds now, aren't we? Because uh, thanks to COVID and, and what I've called nineties nostalgia, a lot of people are, are getting back into it. And, and all of a sudden we don't look so silly or as silly, uh, you know, stacking up all those Greg Jeffries and Hensley Mullins rookie cards from our youth. Yeah. Over this last year, you know, some of these products that you would be able to find for $5 a box all day and dealers just wanted mm -hmm. to get rid of them are now sometimes 15 to $30 a box. Yeah. And some of the old basketball boxes that we're selling for 10 to 20 bucks are going for 75 to hundred. And so some of the folks like us who are maybe a little bit of those junk wax hoarders, uh, we were getting teased and made fun of for liking that stuff. And now we're kind of laughing all the way to the bank. If you've got any kind of supply of it, because even yeah. the singles from that era are starting to gain more popularity. I know you and Nick Duante talked a little bit about this recently, but do you have any thoughts on 
what your perspective is on why we've seen somewhat of a resurgence in some of those junk era products and junk era players from the Mm -hmm. 80s and 90s? Well, and I'll start with the players. A lot of it is, you know, now you know who is a Hall of Famer. You know, we can joke about uh, all the Greg Jeffries and Kevin Moss cards, uh, you know, that we used to hoard and Todd Van Poppel. And, and, you know, those players didn't really pan out uh, as Hall of Famers. But, you know, 263rd round picks like Mike Piazza are. And so, you know, there's no guessing anymore. You know, if you open up a pack from, say, 1991 and there's a Tom Glavin or Frank Thomas or Ken Griffey Jr., you know, that card is going to have a little more value, especially if you go out and get it graded. So, yeah, there's there's a lot less guessing now uh, when it comes to the players and, and knowing which cards are going to be most valuable. On the other hand, and I brought this up about 90s nostalgia, I think if you just look at, you know, what the world, but in particular, the United States has gone through over the last certainly year, and I stretch it out even to a year and a half, you know, with the COVID pandemic, with the economic ups and downs, with the turmoil from uh, the presidential election and and the aftermath from it, uh, you know, we've been through a lot of crap. And, uh, you know, regardless of, of your leanings or beliefs on any of those topics I brought up, uh, you know, we've, we've all been, and I think we're all kind of coming out of our caves here, but we've, we've all been hunkering down for about the last year. So what do you do when you have to hunker down, you know, not just physically because you don't want to get sick, but mentally and emotionally too, because you're, you're in your safe spot. You go back to when you felt good. Well, when did you feel good? Well, when you were a kid and all you had to do was eat macaroni and and Coca-Cola. You didn't care about your health. You didn't have to pay that mortgage or student loans or, you know, take care of two, three, eight kids, however many you have. And, you know, the the most common time frame is you go back to, you know, when you were, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, maybe a little older. And for most people, most responsible adults who are married and have kids and have that mortgage, that takes you back about 30 years ago. So, you know, it's comfort food. That's what it is. And, you know, I think some people were just longing for something fun. So they would go online and just buy some old packs of cards or, you know, those 500 card lots that people were willing to sell you for five bucks. You know, they took a hit on shipping just to get it out of their house. And, uh, you know, on top of that, I think some people probably opened up the closet that, you know, they haven't, you know, opened up in years and they found a few boxes and went through them. And again, Hall of Famers, they they decided to grade the cards and, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, now that box of 92 Fleer packs that, you know, a dealer would gladly give you for $10 at the card show, all of a sudden it's priced at 20. Now, and I like to caution my listeners on this, that doesn't mean you're going to get $20 worth of cards. It's still 92 Fleer. There's still 20 million of these cards out there. But like you said, for those who have hoarded it, for those who have sat on these boxes for all these years, there's a little bit of return on investment. Still, nobody's getting rich. It's just some people are are less in debt because they can finally clear out some warehouse space for these cards. Now you've talked about how the show has evolved over time, how it's continuing to evolve. What's next for Wax Ecstatic? Well, there's, uh, like I said, the evolution of just trying to shorten the show just a little bit. And, uh, you know, I joke about how I can talk and talk and talk and I can. But 
you know, just trying to make it a little more consumer friendly. I've, I've got a great loyal fan base. I'm so glad that, you know, listeners such as yourself tune in for, for every show. Uh, but I, I still want it to be enjoyable and, and not a chore. Shortening it, like I said, it is one of the goals. Uh, but without cutting out the content, you know, uh, people still listen, even if it does run long, uh, because we're entertaining you somehow, some way. So we still have the staples like, you know, talking about the particular cards or the topics. Uh, uh, for example, the next show that I'm working on this week is what I call the food stuff cards. So the cards that are associated with like Coca-Cola or Burger King or uh, Denny's Grand Slam, for example, uh, there's all sorts of uh, food related cards over the decades that we're going to talk a little bit about. So, you know, talk a little bit about the topic and the cards and, and, you know, we're picking three players now. Um, so, you know, some of those favorite things are still out there. What the biggest change is going to be moving forward. And this is something that's going to take several weeks, if not a couple months to develop is uh, I've got the domain waxandgumstains.com, which plays off of our Twitter handle wax and gum stains. And we're going to have a website. And a lot of the, you know, what I've called housekeeping that has been on the show will kind of reside there. But also, uh, you know, for those times where I just can't stay quiet in between two weeks, you know, where the show is, uh, you know, maybe it's just blogging, just a random thought about, you know, a particular card or some moment in, you know, that night's baseball game. Uh, and I, I've had a lot of feedback from listeners too on, you know, hey, it's okay to talk about something other than baseball. All right. So, you know, if I find some cool hockey cards in my collection, maybe I'll post a couple pictures and just throw it out there. So having a, having a place for collectors outside of the podcast is kind of the next goal. And we'll see where it goes from there because it was maybe two or three months ago where I'm kind of looking at the podcast and going, all right, yeah, this was just one of those ideas born out of boredom but it's still going. <laughs> there, there is something here. So, uh, you know, all right, let's see what else we can pull from this, you know, without, you know, taking up too much of my time, but, uh, you know, just something that the podcast is still front and center, but there's a lot of uh, extra stuff along the side just to keep you entertained in between the shows. I think that's a great idea. I know I found with waxpackhero.com, there is a different audience that goes to the mm -hmm. website only um, versus the people who find me via the podcast. And so I think while there, again, is some overlap and crossover between those two, there's definitely some different audiences who may well enjoy that written form more than the podcast form. And so I think that's a great idea to kind of expand your, your reach. That sounds awesome. Well, where can people find you and where can people find the show? Well, like I said, uh, waxandgumstains.com, we will eventually get that online within the next couple of months. So uh, I already own the domain. You're not going to buy it from me. Uh, but, you know, do check it out. Uh, probably late summer, we'll get that going. Uh, in the meantime, you can uh, look for Wax Ecstatic uh, on uh, pretty much every podcast service. Just search Wax Ecstatic and uh, you'll see our logo and a brief description. And, and it's all about baseball cards. You can't miss it. Uh, so we are on Apple podcasts also uh, iHeartRadio, spotify uh, tune in stitcher blueberry uh, google play it's, it's pretty much everywhere also audio boom that's our home base so uh, if you subscribe to audio boom that's a great place to get it too and our twitter handle is at wax and gum stains and uh, that is where you'll see the links for shows uh, video breaks 
and also speaking of video, I've created a new YouTube channel. Uh, it used to be just my personal YouTube channel off of my personal Gmail, but uh, I've created waxandgumstains at gmail.com. So if you want to watch video breaks, uh, we moved about 20 of the videos over there and uh, we're starting to build the, the crowd there. So whether you like video, whether you like audio, whether you like uh, you know snappy tweets and uh, soon some uh, website uh, content, it's all out there in various forms and fashions. And I will be sure to link to all that stuff in the show notes. And so if you didn't catch it as, as Matt was just describing it, you can go to the show notes and find the links to all of those um, social outlets and the show itself. So Matt, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate having the conversation and, and giving people a chance to hear more about your show and the origin story. Well, Mike, thanks again for having me on and for being a, a longtime listener. I, I joke that you're the guy and we finally found you. But, uh, you know, if this show didn't have dedicated fans, uh, you know, not only would we not have this conversation today, I would have given up on it. I wouldn't have come back from my little sabbatical. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that uh, we're able to entertain. And, and even if it's with those cards that don't make you a, a ton of money, but bring back a ton of good memories. So, again, I appreciate you listening and having me on today. Thanks again, Matt. I hope you enjoyed hearing a little bit more about Matt and his show. I definitely would encourage you to check it out. And I definitely encourage you to let me know how you enjoyed this show. Leave me some feedback at waxpackhero at gmail.com. Reach out to me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. And as always, please leave a rating and review at your podcast app of choice. I would really appreciate it. Well, that's all I've got for you today. I'll catch you next time.